Thank you, gentlemen. It seemed like there was a little more joy in, in Chris as he sang this morning. He's one of our newlyweds. So, praise the Lord. Thank you for serving us uh, this morning. Well, this past week, um, many of you gathered and um, celebrated Thanksgiving. And, and as we said, the Christian life is all about giving thanks. It's, it's not just about one day, one day a year. Um, tonight, we'll have an opportunity to give thanks to the Lord uh, around, around the, the Lord's table. Um, give thanks for one another, uh, for the new folks that will come into uh, to our body. And this seems to be a season of, uh, of holidays rolling right out of, of Thanksgiving. I know many of you lament that you begin to see the Christmas decorations up even this year, even before Halloween. I mean, it's just like it gets earlier and earlier. But I love the, the period of time from the end of, 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 the end of November through the, through the first of the year. Um, there is a festive spirit uh, even in China, Christmas trees up everywhere. Christmas tree lighting ceremonies in uh, in hotels. It was it's amazing, um, and even playing Christmas songs and Christmas carols about about Christ and about Jesus. Of course, they don't. Most of them don't understand what they're singing about, but they're singing. You know, come thou long expected Jesus. It was just it's just the gospel. Uh, you know, even uh, even there. And while it's festive and while there are good things about it, as you know, um, it's also an opportunity for, for, for difficulties. There's two things I usually warn you about this time of, of year. One is be on guard for the flesh, and the other is beware not missing the point, right? You we have plenty of things to do during the month of, of December, Christmas parties and, and um, uh, singing programs and things at school, things at work, and it's very easy to get, to get overworked and, uh, and stressed out. So you have to be on guard uh, for, for the flesh. So when Christmas time comes, you don't look like uh, this guy um, right here who is a... Uh, uh, this is uh, I found this this past week. This is a this is actually um, a Brazilian soccer fan. You remember when Germany killed Brazil in soccer? This was the guy's response after the game, and he's like eating his shirt, very very frustrated. You don't want to you don't want to be that way whenever it comes to uh, comes to holidays. You ever think about Christmas and, and it, it doesn't seem like a blessing, but it seems more like a, like a burden, whether you like it or not. Christmas is coming. I found this, uh, this other picture that I thought was interesting this past week. This is actually a car that was driving down the road, and this elephant decided to use it as a scratching pole. And I just I saw this picture on, on CNN, and I thought, man, you know, Buying the presents, Christmas is going to be here, and sometimes it feels like that. It's just pressing down upon you. And Christmas is not about anxiety uh, or presents or parties. It, it's about joy, right? Stephen just told us 400 years was the last time that God's prophets spoke, and, 
And, and, and he had given a clear message that there would be a Messiah that would come. He even told them that, that the prophet, the one coming in the spirit of Elijah, would be like John the Baptist and he would pave the way. We read that at Rod's request at the funeral yesterday in Isaiah 40. And it is a time of, of, of joy. It's not all about what we see. It's not only about what we touch, but, but about the, the things beyond this world. And in fact, really, that's the Christian life. You know, we're called to live, not by what we sense, not by what we see or what we perceive, but by the words of God. I mean, that's really the essence of faith. Faith, when the Bible talks about walking by, by faith and not by sight, when Jesus takes the disciples and He takes them out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee and there's a storm raging and He says, you have little faith, whenever they begin to trust what they see and what they sense and what they perceive, rather than His words. What did Jesus say in the boat? Did I not say we would go to the other side? I mean, He's giving us illustrations that in life, life, the Christian life, is about trusting in the words of God, what He says, what He says true reality is, what He says about heaven and hell, what He says about living now, what He says about our possessions, what He says about... All things. Living by faith means putting more trust in what God says than, than what we sense or, or what we see. And I think we have a perfect opportunity to practice that during Christmas. And you also have a perfect opportunity to fail at that during Christmas with all of the materialism and other things in the world. So this morning I want to take you to a passage where a guy was missing the point. Jesus was preaching... In the Gospel of Luke, in the 12th chapter, Jesus was preaching a very significant message. And while Jesus was, was, was proclaiming His words, words to live by, words of warning, words of encouragement, this man was focused on some very insignificant things. And so I just want to start our Christmas messages out with, with that thought. There's going to be a lot of insignificant things going on over the next four weeks. And you have a message of tremendous significance. And that's the message of the coming Messiah, of Jesus, Jesus Christ. And I want to show you where this guy was missing the point. And listen to what Jesus has to say about staying on track and living with eternity in view. Luke chapter... 12. We're going to cover most of the, of the chapter. You're very familiar with it. This is an echo of the Sermon on the Mount as, as Luke presents it. And it has that famous parable about the, the rich fool. We live in a world that's, that's driven by, by materialism. We really do. Um, Jesus, in this passage of Luke 12, gives teaching to the world, and He gives teaching to the disciples. And I'll show you the, the difference there. We live in a world that's, that's driven by materialism because we live in a world that, that, that trusts in what they see and what they sense and what they can touch. That's reality to them. It's reality to human beings. That feels more real than eternity. 
The only reason that, one said the only reason many American families don't own an elephant is that they've never been offered an elephant for a dollar down and easily monthly payments. And that's probably true. I mean, if we can own it, we can buy it, we can create it, we can possess it, we figure out a way to, to do that. And here's a passage with a strong warning and some very practical teaching about getting shackled by, by what you see. Here's a picture beginning in Luke 12, verse 1. Thousands of people gathered to hear Jesus teach. Luke says here that there were so many, they trampled on one another in Luke 12, verse 1. And then it says he began to, to say to his disciples, first of all. So here is some teaching that Jesus gives to us, to, to his followers. And he introduces his message with a warning. He says, beware of, of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Be, beware of, of the fact that, that there, is, there is this stuff like yeast that can permeate your thinking and your life by the world. The world that is around you is attempting to conform you into, into its mold. And here's the specific teaching of the Pharisees. He says, men only can practice hypocrisy before other men. Beware of the leaven, which is hypocrisy. It's not hypocrisy before God in verse 2 because there's nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will, that will, not, be, that will not be known. He tells them the reality of, of, of hell. He, he says you can fool men basically with, with hypocrisy, but there's nothing that God can't see. Whatever, therefore, has been spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever is spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, don't be afraid of, of men. Be afraid of God. Because there will be a reconciling one day when, when all things are known, even if you fool human beings. And um, the consequences for that is hell talks about the value of, of human beings in verse 6. Um, you got five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God. The very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you're much more valuable than, than sparrows. There's a reality that all things will be made plain before God, and you understand whenever God knows your heart, your mind, all that you do, even the motives, that the conclusion that's going to happen when those scales are weighed out is that we're all going to come up short. And so he encourages us that God cares. Um, he's not going to just leave you in that situation. You, you have value. And the evidence of that is the sending of the Son of Man. So what do you do in that situation? You confess Christ. Um, you confesses me before men in verse 8. Him the Son of Man will also confess in the presence of God. But he who denies me before men will be also uh, denied. Jesus is giving this significant teaching. Those who embrace Christ as God's provision and confess Him as Savior and Lord will be confessed as His own before the Father. That's God's compassion. How much does He care for you? He cares for you so much that, that He's willing to do that. But those who don't will be left without an advocate to face the judge in His perfect anger. It's a pretty clear message. And then right in the middle of the crowd is a man who is distracted from what Jesus is saying because he's consumed with his own circumstances. 
So here's significant words of God, and here's a man in the midst of that crowd not paying attention to these significant words about heaven and hell, about salvation, about Christ, His love for you, and this man is so consumed with his own circumstances and what's going on, he's not paying any attention. Sound like the world? Look at verse 13. In the middle of the crowd, this distractive man says, Teacher, tell my brother to, de- to divide the inheritance with me. Significant teachings, and he's focused on the insignificant things, and s- seems removed from, from what Jesus is talking about. Might leave you scratching your head, but the topic is a little bit closer. Might not be as far as you think. Covetousness will keep you from the kingdom. And here is a man who is concerned about his his inheritance. I've watched families be busted up over twenty five dollars in in wills. It's it's amazing what will happen when money gets involved, right? Jesus answers this man in verse fourteen. I mean, he basically says, "Have you been listening to me at all? You're missing the." You're missing the point. He said, man, who made me judge and arbitrator over you? In the Eastern culture, the family's inheritance was divided amongst the the sons. Sorry, ladies. If you were a daughter, it was divided amongst the sons. And the firstborn, according to Deuteronomy 21.17, the eldest son was guaranteed a double portion. And for whatever reason, we're not told something went wrong, and, and this man wants an arbitrator. Between on the will, and he's trying to get Jesus to do that. And he wants a change in the distribution. And he hears the words of Jesus. He probably knows about his fame, and, and surely he can tell he's a teacher, and rather than hear Christ's words, which is meant to point to eternal life, he desires the Lord to mediate over this, over this earthly, earthly matter. Jesus then makes this statement, which actually redirects the man back to his topic. He said, take heed. First rebukes him, and then he says, beware. Take heed, beware, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that that he possesses. Jesus uses this interruption as an opportunity to, to warn the crowd. And I would say that you have an opportunity during Christmas to, to warn the crowd through the way that you respond in, in your example. Now, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you about buying gifts and enjoying Christmas and being with your family. I hope you do that. It's a joyous time. What I'm trying to say to you is in the, in the midst of those things, those things are insignificant compared to the eternal things. And you have an opportunity Jesus takes this opportunity when a man is focused on insignificant things and he points him to something more significant. And you and I have that opportunity. And he warns them against the danger of of covetousness which leads to materialism. He says, take heed and be on guard. Literally see and then take a defensive posture. Be on guard. Look out ahead. Don't be ignorant of of every form of covetousness and then guard yourself from falling against it, is what he's saying. And then he gives this parable to to illustrate it. So he's got significant teaching 
A man who's focused on insignificant things. He makes a statement. Take heed and be on guard. And then he, he, he says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. And then he gives this parable to illustrate it. Now, you understand a parable is to, is to illustrate a teaching. And a parable has one point, and you can see the point at the end of the, the parable in verse 21. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's the whole point of the, of the parable. He gives this parable about a certain rich man who's, who yielded plentiful, and, and he thought within himself, what shall I do? And since I have no room to store my crops, and he said, I will do this, I will pull down my barns, build greater. You know the parable. He said, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you're missing the point. You're a fool. Now, a fool in the Bible is not like a court jester. You know, when you hear being a fool. You, you think of the whatever the little clown is with the jingle bells. That's not a fool in the Bible. A fool in the Bible, the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. A fool is someone who knows there is a reality and lives as if it's not true. A fool is said in his heart, there is no God. There's evidence of God and he's saying, I reject that and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna live, to live as if that's not, that's not true. And here's a man who's living that, that way. So he's called a fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have, have provided? So is he. Here's the teaching. A person who lays up treasure for himself, a, a person who's focused on earthly things only, a person who is not focused on eternity He's the same kind of person. He's a foolish person. He's living in a false reality. He only sees half of what life's all about. A person who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God is just like this man. He's just like a fool. He's a person who is, who is pretending, who's living, because focusing on earthly things will, will make you complacent, will make you self-sufficient, and lead you to, to be covetous. That's the illustration that you get in this parable. Here's a man who's complacent. There's a certain rich man in verse 16 whose, whose ground was yielded plentiful, and he thought within himself, what shall I do? You know? Man, i got all kinds of stuff. What do I do? He's complacent. He's self-sufficient. Here's what I'll do. I will, I will, I will. And he's covetous. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God renders a, a conclusion there. He renders a conclusion concerning life lived for, for stuff. He shows a man's entire life in review, and he gives a final evaluation, the conclusion of the parable. A man who accumulates treasure for himself and is not rich toward God is a fool. He's saying. Whether you're young, old, saved, unsaved, the danger to do that is, is ever-present. And yet the, the reason that people do it is because it's tangible. It's what you see. You, you get a paycheck that, that comes in every week. You, you live in a house. You, you, you have 
uh, commercials that bombard you all the time with stuff, and you need this, and 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 you need that, and and there's a scratch on the car, so you need a new car, and whatever it is, it's it's all around you. That's the temptation. But Jesus says, "Live by my words. What my words say, what I say to you, that's reality, not what you see. Don't fall to this temptation. A person who does that is a fool because they're they're living blinded to the real." the real truth. Now, I want you to pay attention because all that's really a setup. It's, a, it's an introduction to, to this teaching. Because I think everybody knows what I just said. Everybody knows the danger of covetousness. Everybody knows materialism. Everybody knows this parable, knows that there's an earthly and, and an eternal. But I want you to watch what Jesus does next in... In verse 22, because he turns from the unsaved man and turns back to us, the disciples. Look at verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about the body, what you'll put on. Why does he do that? I mean, disciples don't seem to be worried about an inheritance. I mean, he deals with the guy. Why, why does he teach the disciples on, on anxiety, on, on, on worry here? Because if you don't focus on life here and now, on careers and building wealth for security's sake or on our future, the temptation is that, that, that those things make you feel secure. And lacking security is the same as being anxious. And Jesus is combating. Jesus is teaching us as believers, if you follow His words, then it might make you anxious because it doesn't make sense. It's not what what seems to be the right way to go in, in life. He's combating the normal response to living with eternity in view. And unless there's an eternity, the words of Jesus don't make any sense. It makes no sense to give to the Lord. It makes no sense to serve other people. It makes no sense to lay down your life for others. It makes no sense to miss Thanksgiving with your, with your family and, and hunting with your son in order to go to China on an 18-hour plane ride. That makes no sense whatsoever, right? But if there is eternity, it can make all the sense in the world. Jesus is combating here the natural response. He's anticipating the response of His disciples. Well, wait a minute. I mean, doesn't inheritance matter? Shouldn't I care about, about whether my brother gets, whether I get a wrong deal in, in the way things are divided? Shouldn't I care about the things on the earth? I mean, what's wrong? I mean, is it bad to, to build barns? Is it bad to, you know, to, to, to do these kind of things? I mean, it, won't, won't there be... I mean, what do I do? Just take a vow of poverty and go live on the street and preach to Jesus? I mean... You don't you you, you kind of you kind of get this 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 tension here, and and that's where he's that's where he's going. He's trying to to answer the question, anticipate the question that can come up in the in in the heart. And he says, "Don't worry, don't be anxious. If you live with eternity in view, it will be countercultural. It will be." Unlike the world, the world is going to be focused on insignificant things. And if you focus on the significance of my words, of following my words, 
in the midst of, of life, it's going to sense, it's going to, to run counterintuitive against your senses. It's going to feel like you're doing the wrong thing, but you're doing the right thing. And, and don't be anxious about that. Your security is in me. Your security is not in these things. And then he gives the three reasons why you should not worry. Verse 22, don't worry about your life. Now, you know that doesn't mean that you don't work. The Bible says a man won't work, neither should he. A person who doesn't mean you don't take care of your family. The Bible says a person who doesn't take care of his family is, is worse than a Christ denier. He's not saying that. He's saying being too focused or focused only on those, those things. And he says why you... You don't have to worry. Well, you don't have to be anxious because your life, in verse 23, is, is more than what you possess. Your life, he says, first, is more than, than food and the body more than clothing. And he takes it back to the central teaching. Life is not just what you see, what you touch, what you, what you put on your body. Life is more than that. Life is not physical. I mean, it's what we talked about yesterday at the, at the funeral. I mean, the, the whole idea of the resurrection is that, I mean, if, if this is all there is to life, if this is the only thing, this physical body and this physical world, then, then we're miserable people, right? We're miserable people because our bodies get sick and they're not getting better, they're getting worse. There's more aches, there's more pains. Health, your, bo- your body is more than that. Life is more than just than, than, than the physical. There's a spiritual component. So he says, don't be anxious because your life is more than just than what you, what you possess. Your value is more than, than your things. It's more, it's, your value to God is more than, than these things. Look at what he says in verse 24, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They don't have a storehouse, and yet God feeds them. Are you not more valuable than birds? He's, he's answering this question, if you live with eternity in view, live countercultural, live by God's words rather than by what you sense, what seems natural. Anxiety can come because it can be a, a sense of lack of security, and he says life is more than, than just what you possess. Your value to God is more than the created world, and He provides for them. He's going to make sure that you're taken care of. And, and then He says, you can't add to it anyway. <laughs> verse 3, or I'm sorry, verse uh, 25, his third point here. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to, to your stature anyway? I mean, we really think that we have a lot more control than we do, right? I mean, we worry, we, we lay up at night. What's happening here? What's happening there? What's the market going to do? What's my family going to do? What's my boss going to do? What's my wife going to do? What's the church going to do? What, you know, we worry about those things. And Jesus just says, look, you, you have far less control than you think you do. Praise God you have far less control than you think you do because that means God has complete control. Aren't you glad the Lord has control? I'm so glad. And whenever I worry about the things that I really can't really control, you know, I think the Lord just kind of smiles. He knows that we're but dust. And He says, you know, 
It's like my child worries about things that there's really nothing to worry about. And I know there's nothing to worry about. God knows there's nothing to worry about because He, he has it all. So you've got this significant teaching, God giving His words. You've got a man focused on insignificant things. He's missing the point. And Jesus takes him to this teaching of, yes, there's life, but there's much more than life. So take heed. Beware of not being focused only on here, what you sense and what you perceive. Follow my words, even when following my words doesn't make sense with this life. Because... You have value to God. You can't add one cubit to your life anyway. I am in control. And, and life is much more than what you possess. And he gives this parable of the, of the rich man to, to show you where you really should put, put your focus. A person who lays up treasure for himself versus a person who is rich toward God. Be rich toward God is what Jesus is, is saying. So, there's the introduction. And now I want to give you four lessons that you can focus over the next month. I want to challenge you. You're going to be quick. Write them down. But as I read this passage and I see this flow and what Jesus is doing here, teaching the unsaved and, and also encouraging, answering the questions that, that come in our hearts when we live that way, it gives us four lessons. First is, don't think things bring me joy. Giving to others will bring you joy. I mean, how do you put this life and eternity, how do you bring those two things together? It's a summary of these teachings. How do I apply this to my life? I'm warned not to think that things bring me joy. Now, I like getting gifts. Some of your, you may have the love language, as they say, of, of giving, uh, getting gifts. It might make you feel good when somebody, you make, might make you feel like somebody cares about you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, true, true joy. Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave, the Lord taken is taken away. Blessed be the name of the uh, of the Lord. You leave life in the same way that, that you enter. The essence of life has nothing to do with your things. That's what he's saying. One night a thief broke into a single room apartment of a French novelist. The intruder quietly picked the lock on the writer's desk and suddenly silence was broken by laughter from the owner's bed and as the novelist was watching the thief, and the thief said, Why do you laugh? And the owner of the house said, I'm laughing to think at what risks you would take to try to find money in a desk by night, by night where the legal owner can never find any by day. <laughs> having much or having little is not the issue. The issue is your heart, where you think joy lies. Um, there's an incredible rise of, of the standard of living in Americans and Western Europeans. They're more affluent, more healthy, more comfortable, more free, king over taller piles of stuff, but 
but they've not made them happier in any way, shape, or form. It's because only Christ is the source of joy. So how do you combat that? How do you combat the temptation of thinking that, that joy comes from, comes from things? You, you replace getting with giving. You do the opposite. You, you find some way to, to give of yourself. And Christmas is a great time to do that. I mean, those things flew off the tree back there. Praise God, the angel things. I mean, take what you plan to spend on your gifts with your family and decide together to give, that a, portion, give a portion of that to somebody else, to the Lord. Take an envelope and, and write specifically on it, stuff does not bring me joy. Jesus does. And, and then be intentional about that. Um, Go to, your, go to your wife, go to your kids, you go to your mom and dad and say, look, this year I don't want you to give me something. I want the privilege of giving something to, to somebody else. Be intentional. Combat it. Don't be complacent. Second, things don't elevate my position, so elevate the value of others. Things don't bring me joy. Giving to others will. What Jesus is saying here. Be intentional. Things don't elevate my position. Elevating the value of others will. Tucked within this sin of covetousness is it's married with pride, right? I mean, that's what the guy's doing. The I, 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 my, 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 my barns, I will. Why do you accumulate stuff? It's because we think it brings us joy. It also is because we think it makes us more important. New shoes, new car, new dishes, new whatever. Uh, it's not to serve others. We get them because we think those things matter what others think. Keeping up with the Joneses, as it's said. We think it elevates my position. So how do you combat that? Elevate the value of others. You serve. You serve others. How do you show somebody that they really matter to you? Giving of yourself serving in some way. Your position, your stuff has nothing to do with with your status. George Truett, a well-known pastor, was invited to dinner in a home of a very wealthy man in Texas. And after the meal, the host led him to a place where they could... He could get a good view of the surrounding area and pointing to his oil wells, punctuating the landscape, he boasted, 25 years ago I had nothing. Now, as far as you can see, it's all mine. Looking in the opposite direction at the sprawling fields of grain, he said, that's all mine. Turning to the east, to huge herds of cattle, he bragged, they're all mine. And then pointing to the west, a beautiful forest, he exclaimed, that's all mine too. And he paused, expecting Dr. Pruitt to compliment on him his, his great success and and Truett, however, placing one man on the shoulder, said, turned in that direction and that direction, how much of up there do you have? How much do you have in that direction? And the man hung his head and confessed, I never thought of that. Um, serve others. Talk to Paul Phelps. He can find you plenty of things to do at the Salvation Army. Go to Richard Jett. Go to, so to go to the nursing home. Sing Christmas carols to, to the shut-ins that are there. Set aside an evening and write a card to a missionary that's overseas that, that can't be home for Christmas. 
the way that you combat self-importance is pour yourself out for the service of others. Find some way to do that during this season. Find some way to intentionally serve. Three, things don't make me secure. To believe truth. Believe God's words more than, than you feel. How do you do that? How do you combat that? There's probably a lot of different ways, but the Word of, of God needs to be sown in the, in the heart. The shackle of misdirected security, you fight that by, by reminding yourself of God's Word. How can you do that? Write God's Word all over the place. Put it on a chalkboard at home. Memorize it. If you have a grease pencil, write it on your mirror in your bathroom whenever you get up in the morning. Write a verse that, that talks about your security. Take one of these verses. Your life is, is more than, than food. You're much more valuable than the birds. Find some way to internalize the, uh, the Word. Meditate on it. Let me give you the fourth one. Things don't actually make me, make me rich. Making someone else rich by introducing them to Christ does. Remember, you get these two realities. you got this world that you live in and then there's eternity. Life is more than things. Life is more than possessions. Life is more than what you sense, what you see, what you touch. Life is more than, than the paycheck. Life is more than the tangible things. There's an eternity. And yet, this is the world you live in. This is the water you breathe. This is the air that, 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 that you breathe. This is the, the fish living in the, in the water. How do you combat that? And Jesus is giving us these teachings. Things don't make us rich. What does make us rich? song that we used to sing, I used to sing a solo at Red House. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Without one soul with which to greet Him, must I empty-handed go? You know the teaching of that song? It makes you rich? How do you lay up treasures for yourself in heaven? Well, it's not just giving money. Of course, that's part of it. But it's sharing Christ with others. Who in heaven is going to walk up to you and say, I am here because of your service to me? I am here because you shared the greatest treasure that there ever was with me. Who's going to be there? Will there be anybody there? How do you combat the idea that what makes me rich is what I feel and what I clothe myself with. You make someone else rich with true treasures. This parable, there's a, there's a different evaluation. God's reasoning versus man's reasoning. A person who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. And a man who is rich toward God is a man who... Who knows Christ? It's the greatest treasure ever. So when you focus on sharing Him with others, you take your eyes off the trinkets and that distract you and focus on true treasure. The message today is, is don't measure things incorrectly. Don't think that only life brings joy. Only stuff elevates position. 
Only that provides security and only things make you, you truly rich. And all that a man lived wrongly, only to find out all of those things that he truly desired, he lacked, and all those things were in Christ. Let you bow your heads. an opportunity for you to respond to the word more of a preparatory sermon for the next month you talked about giving and now this is the contrast the, the warning on the other side to not obey that first sermon so this one I ask you to put it to you This month, will you focus more on getting or more on giving? Do you focus more on your importance or on the importance of others by serving? Will you focus more on what you sense or, or will you believe the words of God? Focus more on earthly treasure or the treasure of sharing Christ? with someone else. You can hear the sermon, you can hear the words, and and you can walk away if you're not intentional. This will be another sermon. Be intentional. Father, as I come before you this morning, I thank you for for the needs of my own heart. And Lord, these words are written, and these words we come back to over and over because you know we forget. And Lord, you, you're kind and gracious and remind us of those things. And, and I think it's one of the beauties of, of, of holidays like Christmas and, and Easter. I know that they're not in the Bible as far as when to celebrate them. But they're, they're repetitious. They remind us of the same things over and over and we need reminded. Thank you for these truths this morning. And Father, as we respond by going forth from this place and and obeying um, empowers to do that. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that, that has never tasted the true treasure of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, that, that today they would repent and believe. They'd spend their first Christmas knowing the God that created them, the God that loved them, the God that was willing to leave heaven and earth for them. We love you. We thank you for loving us in Jesus' name.